you would uh, take out your Bibles and let's turn to Genesis chapter 17. And we will be uh, reading through the whole chapter. Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, But your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant." Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall the child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had had said to him. 
Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remain forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word, for this covenant which was made with Abraham. We pray, O God, that as we study this covenant of grace, your promises to Abraham, the sign given, we pray that you would help us to understand, apply it, help us to see how Christ fulfills it. Uh, May the name of Jesus be glorified. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study in Genesis has, in some sense, been a study in human nature. Mankind had fallen into sin when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with the result that he was separated from God and was subject to death. But God, out of his own mere pleasure, sought to rescue man, making with him what is commonly called the covenant of grace, whereby he freely offers sinners life and salvation by a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they might be saved, and promising to give to all those who are among his elect, he's ordained them eternal life by his Spirit, And he's made them willing and able to believe. We see this in the life of Abraham, the patriarch, as he's called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He is given promises. He's given blessings. He's told to have faith. He has faith. He grows in that faith. He matures in that faith, even as at times his faith flounders and is flailing. Abraham had to learn to be patient. He had been promised a son, but so far many years have gone by and the son has not come. In previous chapters, namely in chapters 12 of Genesis 12 and chapter 15 of Genesis, God had committed himself to Abraham in a covenant relationship. Uh, the Lord was to be Abraham's God, and his descendants were to be his people. God was going to bless Abraham, offspring, the land of Canaan, and from him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And through his seed, the promised one would come. Now this covenant, the covenant at this point, has been one way. Abram has been a passive partner in the covenant. God is the one establishing it. God is the one fulfilling it. But here in chapter 17, God takes this passive partner, Abraham, and he makes him into an active participant. Not in bringing the promises to pass, nor in in ensuring the continuation of the covenant, but simply in calling him to be obedient 
to be obedient to the Lord and to His Word. Abraham was to walk before the Lord. He was to live his life in the shadow of God's wings, doing as God commanded him to do. He was to apply the covenant sign and seal of circumcision to his whole household. Circumcision is a cleansing rite, which signified the need for purification because of the uncleanness of sin, which must be taken away. Abraham, the patriarch, received the sign just as all those who would come after him would receive it because he too was a sinner in need of God's forgiveness, of God's cleansing. His reliance was then and was to continue to be holy on the Lord. Now this truth becomes more clear from what we actually looked at last week. After he and Sarah's failed attempt to gain an heir through their own means, through Hagar, the Egyptian servant. For as the the Christian's faith flounders and falters, the Lord's faithfulness is steadfast as He upholds His people. And so, you think about what we looked at last week sort of in, in between chapter 15 where God's giving His promises and then chapter 17 where God again reiterates His promises and gives His sign. He had in between this sort of faltering of Abraham. It's really uh, here we're seeing again God's steadfastness uh, for Abraham. And again, God was going to do something miraculous for Abraham and Sarah. What they were trying to do on their own was not what God had in mind. God God was going to do something, really, frankly, where both Abraham and Sarah think it's so ridiculous they laugh about it. Yet God is doing something incredible. But still, they had to wait patiently. And they're waiting from what we had looked at last time, their waiting lasts for more than another decade. A decade has gone by. Actually, we'll see it's been 13 years has gone by since what we looked at in chapter 16. So this is where we're picking up now. It says in verse 1, Following the, the, these following events had occurred when Abram was 99 years old. So again, 13 years has passed since the birth of Ishmael. It's been 24 years since Abram had left his father's house, had entered into the promised land. So 24 years have gone by since he was told that he would have a son, that he would uh, uh, inherit the land, and that all the nations would be blessed for him. 24 years have gone by. And from his perspective, he hasn't seen a lot of movement other than God speaking to him. So despite all of his own personal efforts, there was still no promised son. And Abram's age is again repeated in in verse 24 with his new name, Abraham. So again, the Lord is reiterating his covenant and the promises that he's making to him. He says to Abram, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. 
So here is the Lord visits with Abraham. Uh, He introduces himself as El Shaddai, which is often translated God Almighty. The God of Abraham is most almighty, powerful, and sovereign, able to protect and provide for his people. This is the creator. This is the sustainer and upholder of all things, whose sovereign hand is majestically over all things. This is the God that is talking to Abraham. This is the one he was to walk before, El Shaddai, God Almighty. And he was to be blameless. Now if you think about this, this is a, this is a stunningly high but clear standard. Standard. The servant of God is to walk in obedience to the Lord, God Almighty, blamelessly. Now it is fitting that God begins His speech with with His introduction as the Almighty God before He gives the command for obedience. For just as the believer is to be obedient to God, that is the standard that we are called to, and that we fail at and yet God is almighty he's mighty to provide help and relief and so the Lord gives here two obligations to Abram as he sets forth his covenant he was to walk before him and he was to be blameless in meeting these two requirements then the believer that is in this case Abram would be Last, To walk before God is to orient one's life to His presence, His promises, and to His demands. Abraham, as the representative of the nation, was to live his life in every respect with reference to God. And he was to do so blamelessly. That is, in the wholeness of his relationship. Abraham was to be holy. He was to live with integrity. Note, though, that sinlessness was not necessarily what was in mind here. Abraham was not being called to perfection per se, but to integrity, to walk before the Lord. This is, after all, the covenant of grace for which God is providing blessing to his people. And so Abraham was to live in a covenant relationship with God, which would result in covenant blessings for him. For Abraham, this was that he might be multiplied greatly. To walk with the Lord is the call of the Christian as well. You and I are to walk with the Lord. In fact, the New Testament speaks of this fairly regularly. We're to walk with the Lord, walk by the Spirit. We are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, our Redeemer and Savior. You and I are to walk in obedience and blamelessly before God. Not that we have become perfect, but so that we might be perfected. That is to say, we might be sanctified, continually transformed more and more into the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So God's relating to Abraham was here one administration of the covenant of grace, which of course comes to full flowering in Christ. 
And so the fact that God has sought to relate to His people in this way, dealing with undeserving sinners, wretches that we are, this ought to drive us to our knees in humility and in worship. Consider that God has condescended to, to know you, to covenant with you through Christ. That's a very humbling thought. We ought to be driven to worship. This is, in fact, what Abram does. Look at verse 3. As God introduces himself, he gives the standard. In verse 3 it says, Then Abram fell on his face. That's very fitting, wouldn't you say? Abram falls on his face. Abram's response was to fall down onto his face as an act of humility and worship. What else can you do if God speaks to you in this way but to fall down before him? He acknowledges his smallness before God. This is, this is El Shaddai. This is God Almighty. As David ponders in Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Who am I, Lord, that you would know me? There is here also a sense of profound pleading with the Lord. And yet, Abram says nothing. There's nothing recorded of him speaking at this point. All he does is fall down on his face, humble before Almighty God. He understands his frailty as the creature and as a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And he also understands his reliance is on the Lord in his mercy and his grace. Although Abram does not utter a word, he speaks loudly and boldly that he is willingly willing to submit himself to the word of God. He declares and is falling down on his face that he is, he is willing to receive the promise of grace and to obey the commandments of God. Sometimes our actions speak louder than our words. Abram is acting in faith. Now, it should at this point be noted that as we get into the the covenant, there are three divisions in the covenant. Uh, The first division, after these introductory remarks, begins in verse 4. This lists God's obligations, the obligations which God is bringing. The second division begins in verse 9, and this is Abraham's portion. And the third begins in verse 15, and this is Sarah's portion. And so the first division makes clear who is the uh, originator of this covenant. This covenant comes from God, Almighty God. He is the one who is establishing it. He is the one who is setting forth its terms. Abraham was to be a recipient of these covenant promises. Even such that he's given a new name. His name is changed. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham. So his name is changed from exalted father to the father of nations. And God will make him the father of a multitude of nations. Now the reality of this of his name can be understood in a couple different ways. First of all, Abraham is by blood the father of the nation of Israel. 
along with the Ishmaelites and the Edomites. These are all nations which come from Abraham. But there is a second and spiritual sense. All who were or are now trusting in Christ are the children of Abraham. If you're a Christian, then you're a child of Abraham spiritually. In this sense, then, all the nations who are being blessed are blessed by faith, the faith of Abraham. Abraham's children, then, are not merely by blood, but are the faithful from among all of the nations. And so Abraham was to be made fruitful. He would have many descendants, more than the stars of the sky, as we've seen before. And although he himself was not a king, many royal houses would come from him, The most important, of course, being the line of David and the King of Kings himself, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the covenant here being made with Abraham was for him and for all those who come after him. That is to say that the covenant is multi-generational and everlasting. The promise being made, in short, is that God will be their God and they will be His people. And this covenant of grace, which is being established, was to progress from Abraham through his offspring. But unlike the the Noetic covenant, which was universal for every living creature, this administration of the covenant of grace was restricted to a particular branch of Abraham's descendants, those who were to come through Isaac. Now, perhaps one puzzling aspect to this covenant for Christians is its everlasting nature mentioned in verse 7. Since circumcision has ended among Christians, how has this covenant continued? This is, this is a question that many will ask. If, it's, if, if, if this is a, a, the, the, the covenant which involves circumcision, how, how is this supposed to continue on? We, we see the New Testament, circumc- circumcision is. Well, the answer is found in, an, in, a, in a proper understanding of the sacraments. It should be understood that circumcision was the sign of the covenant, not the substance of the covenant. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant, not the substance of the covenant. The substance of the covenant rests in what God is doing. He's bringing about blessings of salvation. He's bringing offspring. This is all leading to the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Christ is the substance of the covenant. God is bringing blessing to His people. His grace, His mercy through Christ. And the covenant is everlasting because it's a spiritual covenant. In the old covenant, the people of Israel, they were looking forward to the coming of of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to that which they did not see. These were members of the covenant people. But even among the nation, there were some who received the covenant sign... They were outwardly members of the covenant community, but spiritually they were not. They received the sign, but they were not part of the substance. In our present text, Ishmael serves as an example. He receives the outward sign of circumcision as a member of the covenant community, and yet he's no part of the covenant people. 
So it's not those who are merely circumcised outwardly, but those who are circumcised in heart. In fact, these are the people who are truly God's people. Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. God has always been concerned with the heart. This is continued in the New Covenant. All those who trust and rest in Christ along with their children are participants in the covenant promises. But it's not simply an outward sign that's in view, as important as that sign is. The sign points to the cleansing realities in Christ by faith. And so the substance of the covenant is the same in the Old and in the New Testament. But the sign and the seal of the covenant of grace has changed from circumcision in the Old to baptism in the New As Matthew Henry puts it in his commentary, the covenant, quote, is from everlasting in the counsels of it and to everlasting in the consequences of it and the external administration of it is transmitted with the seal of it to the seed of believers and the internal administration of it by the Spirit of Christ's seed in every age, end quote. And so the promise of God to Abraham was to be his God to give him offspring, to give him the land of promise as an everlasting possession. And he's given a new name, Abraham, the father of nations. He was to be the father of nations. And this covenant was to be everlasting from age to age. And the covenant of grace, as the covenant of grace comes to fruition in Christ. And so the substance of the covenant continues to be the same. The promise of the one who would come, Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Mediator. And so this is what God is doing. God is bringing the hope of salvation. Verse 9, in the phrase, As for you, this now marks the second division of the covenant. Namely, Abraham's responsibilities. You know, we've, we've seen what God's responsibilities are, what God is going to do. Here is Abraham's responsibility. He and those who come after him were to place the sign upon the male members of the household of faith. They were to apply the covenant sign. The covenant was established by divine initiative, but the confirming of it required human response, walking in God's presence blamelessly, in summary, and specifically in circumcising every male uh, member of the household. So circumcision was the initiatory rite of the Old Covenant. In this way, God was placing His mark on His people. Those with this sign become members of a community with whom God has an everlasting relationship. Now notice, the circumcision was performed on the organ of procreation, which is, in a sense, then being consecrated to God. Remember, Abraham was to have a multitude of descendants, more than the dust of the earth, more than the stars of the sky. These children which would then lead to the promised Messiah, they were to come from his body. 
And so this, this rite was to be a reminder on his body of God's covenant promises to him and to those who would come after him. He was to look at the mark given and he was to remember God's faithfulness to him. Look at verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Abraham was to see that which was being signified. The fulfillment of God's promises He was as he lives by faith. But notice too, that it was not only Abraham who was to receive the sign of circumcision. Nor was it only the adult members of the covenant community who were to receive the sign of circumcision. It was the children as well. The children of believers, as well as all the male members of the covenant community, were to receive the covenant sign. Verse 12, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. They along with any foreigner who was born in the house, anyone who was bought with money, all the males eight days old and up who were members of the household of faith, they too were to receive the covenant sign. Now it should be noted that circumcision did not originate with Israel. In the ancient world, Israel was not the only nation to use circumcision. But it was unique that it was applied to children. Israel was unique in this. In some of the other ancient cultures, uh, circumcision was used as a rite of passage from childhood to adulthood. But God employed circumcision toward a different end and for differing purposes. God took something that men were already doing and He used it For his own purposes. It was to be a sign for covenant children. Which set them apart. Which showed that they were under the authority of a parent who confesses the faith. And thus they are holy unto the Lord. The Apostle Paul, in fact, in the New Testament, makes a very similar point in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14, where he says this, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. You see, even one believing parent makes the children of that believing parent holy unto the Lord. They belong to the Lord. And so the, the, this eight, eighth day uh, marked the completion of the creation cycle and the seven days of un, the uncleanness of the mother, which was then followed by the infant's circumcision on the eighth day. And this physical mark was to symbolize a spiritual reality with Abraham as a spiritual father in the promise of an everlasting covenant. Thus, all of the, male, the male, males of the household, including children, including slaves, all in the house of, of faith were to receive the sign. Even Ishmael received the sign, as we will see in verse, later on in verse 28. And any who refused to undergo the procedure, they were to be cut off from God's people. They were to be considered covenant breakers. They were no part of God's covenant. They did not have the sign applied. God would sever the disloyal descendant from the community. And so now we come to the third division 
which begins in verse 15, in this statement, as for Sarai, your wife. So we see, first of all, that Sarah, too, is given a new name. She is now called Sarah. Now, the difference seems to be a dialectical variation. Both of these mean princess or queen, potentially. Um, Her given name may reflect her royal lineage, while her new name reflects her royal progeny. God's promise was that Sarah would be blessed. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. So Abraham was to have a son. He was to have a son by Sarah. This woman, whose name means princess, will have nations and will have kings who will come from her. Twice God proclaims that he will bless her. Twice he says, I will bless her. Now this is unique. This is, this is phenomenal. The Lord is announcing direct blessing upon a woman. Now, in our modern day America, we, we don't really think too much of that. That's, in terms of the ancient world, that's fairly radical. God is uniquely and directly blessing Sarah. These sorts of blessings were usually reserved to men. But Sarah... Sarah was to be the spiritual mother of the nation of Israel. Now, Abraham's reaction to these wonderful promises, again, was to fall on his face. But this time, he doesn't simply fall on his face, but he laughs. Now, you might wonder, why does Abraham laugh? It doesn't seem like that fits. Well, have you ever... um, had an experience where you were so astonished, so amazed, you couldn't believe your ears. All you could do is laugh. Maybe you're, you're just sort of uncomfortable. And you even maybe even think to yourself, oh my, why am I laughing? There's something funny about this. And yeah, all you can do is laugh. You've had that experience, haven't you? I have. Something that's just so incredible. It's doubtful that Abraham meant any disrespect he could, and there's a sense of which he couldn't help himself. It was so astonishing to him. If you ever find yourself laughing at the most inopportune times, know that you're in good company with Abraham. The laughter of Abraham, and then later of Sarah, becomes the wordplay of, of their son's name, Isaac, which literally means he laughs. As Abraham chuckles, He also says to himself, and perhaps he speaks under his breath in verse 17, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I'm an old man. I'm practically dead. God's going to give me a child. My wife is practically, she's 90 years old. She's 90 years old. Like we're well past childbearing years. You're, you're, going to give, you're going to give us a child? Then he says out loud to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He's still fighting for Ishmael. Oh, but, but can't he be the one? Abraham's reactions to what has transpired runs a gamut of emotions. He's dumbstruck. He's in awe, disbelief, wonder, and then consternation. 
He whispers to himself his disbelief, and then he begins to plead with God over his son. Why not Ishmael? Couldn't Ishmael believe? Couldn't, I mean, look, I already had the kid. Let's just make him the one. Can't you just work this out? I imagine it would be heartbreaking to have a child who you are aware is outside of God's kingdom. That would be heartbreaking. In fact, more so for Abraham because he, he's been told that by God. He understands that where, you know, if you have a child that walks away from the faith, your, your, your prayer is that they would return, right? Abraham knows. He knows the reality. He's pleading with God on this. Abraham's mind had already been fixed on the son he had, not on the promised son yet to come. Perhaps Abraham's reasons that uh, reasons that he and Sarah in their elderly state that could possibly have children, maybe, maybe God could work through Ishmael. Well, God answers Abraham's pleadings. No. No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Abraham might have difficulty believing this, but indeed, Sarah was to bear him a son, and his, his name was to be called Isaac. Abraham needed to expand his thinking beyond the narrow limits of his mind to receive this promise concerning Sarah. His wife, who is 90 years old, will bear a son for them. As for Ishmael, God has heard his plea and will bless him as well. He'll be fruitful. He will father 12 princes. God will establish his covenant. But Ishmael will not be uh, Ishmael will not be included in that, but he won't be excluded from blessing. But he was not the promised offspring. Nevertheless, a great nation will come from him. And so there's a contrast between two sons. Ishmael might be blessed. He may have a nation come from him and 12 princes, but God's special covenant would be with Isaac. I will establish my covenant, it says. And this covenant was to be a continuation of the covenant which God make, is making here with Abraham. It is a, it's a totally, it's a different arrangement that he makes with Ishmael. And Sarah was to bear this promised child, Isaac, in a year's time. And when God had finished, verse 22 says that God went up from Abraham. So you have a a visible uh, ascension of the theophany. But Abram's response was immediate obedience. As God uh, departs, he's he's obedient immediately. He takes uh, Ishmael, he takes all the men who were born in his house, all those who were bought with money, he circumcises them. And the text emphasizes this on that very day. He doesn't wait till next week, he doesn't wait till tomorrow. On that very day, he does what God had told him to do without any delay. Verse 24 says that he was 99 years old when he received the sign, Ishmael was 13. There is entire unity in the household under the covenant. All in that household are under the covenant of, of grace. Abraham's actions signal his faith in God's promises. Indeed, there will be a child who is to be born to Sarah. 
as improbable as that seemed, in his mind still, this seems impossible. But God said it. I'm going to be be obedient. I'm going to trust in the Lord. Writing in in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said that Abraham believed God against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so sure your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham's faith, again, was being strengthened by God. God has told him something absolutely unbelievable. So much so he laughs at it. Seeming, it seems so astonishing. And yet God is continuing to strengthen Abraham's faith. God is providing continued assurances to him. He has given him the sign of the covenant in circumcision. And, and Abraham was to see and he was to know that God was at work. You know, sometimes the Christian life can become discouraging. We live live in the hope of God's promises, don't we? The Christian life can easily become discouraged if you're not carefully considering how the Lord often operates. Consider this as an example. Our Savior Jesus Christ has commanded His church to make disciples of the nations. We actually spoke about this during... Sunday school. He, sent his, he sends his servants out as missionaries. Uh, the body of Christ is to participate in the building up the church. We're to make disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples of the nations. And church planting is what we've been called to do globally and locally. We should be praying for the church. We should be seeking to have the church grow and expand. This church is a church planting church. But sometimes... We begin a work, we plant seeds, and then nothing seems to grow. Nothing seems to happen. Years go by without any movement. Decades go by despite all of our efforts. And there's nothing yet to be seen. And yet we've been called to make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples of all the nations. Okay, I'm trying. Nothing's happening. But then... God moves. And He does so in such a way that we are shown once again our absolute reliance on Him. He causes the growth. He's the one who builds His church. And we are humbled to realize that God calls us to be obedient and to perform the tasks He has called us to, but in the end, He's the one doing the work and He's the one who gets all the glory. And yet at the same time, he's pleased to make us a partner in that work. Isn't that something? That God is the one doing it, and he's pleased to condescend himself to allow us to be partners with him, and yet he's the one who's actually doing it in the end. This is the story of this church, by the way. This is the story of every gospel effort on the planet. Sometimes there are people who pray for decades before God establishes his church in a place. Maybe part of, the, part of this not, ought to be in our patience. We ought to be praying for decades. We should be looking, in a sense, taking the, the long view to gospel ministry. Pray.
praying for places now which doesn't have a gospel ministry. We, we should be praying for North Korea. We should be praying for China. We should be praying for you know, countries where there is no gospel witness. And we might be praying for 50 years that the Lord would work in those places. God does this sometimes on an individual level too, though, doesn't He? Sometimes you get discouraged in your own Christian life. I'm, I'm doing the things that God has called me to do. And yet I, I don't seem to be growing. I seem to be struggling in my life. Our Lord makes it plain that our reliance is to be on Him. But He does provide us assurances and reminders. He gave us a sign. As a Christian, you've been given a sign and placed on your body. And that is baptism. Baptism, which has now replaced circumcision, is the covenant sign Christ has given to His people. And just as Abraham did, you and I need to learn patience and to improve on our baptism. Now, what do we mean by that? What does it mean to improve on our baptism? Well, this means that we're to look back on our baptism with a serious and thankful consideration as to the ends for which it was instituted. The privileges and benefits which are signified and sealed in it. Of the vows we have taken when we became communing members. Of our being humbled because of our sinfulness and our need for pardon and reconciliation through the blood of Jesus. We need to look back at all these things. We need to look back on the cleansing of Christ's blood upon us. And we should do this particularly whenever we witness baptism. This is why, I, you know, whenever we have a baptism, I often will say, you would do well to look back on your own baptism. What has Christ done for you? We're to remember. We're to take comfort in the assurance that if we have faith in Jesus, we have pardoned Him. That our sins have truly been forgiven. That Christ's blood has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. That you have been set free. That you have been united in your Savior. That you are a member of the body of Christ. Oh, what glory we have in our Savior. And we're not saved in our baptism. Remember, the sign is not the substance of the covenant. But we are reminded of our salvation, and we're reminded of all the spiritual benefits which are ours in Christ. This is what the Westminster Confession speaks of when it talks of improving on our baptism. We're living out what the sign signifies. This is what God was calling Abraham to do in terms of of the sign applied to him. Walk with Christ, beloved congregation. Obey his word, just as Abraham was called. Make diligent use, regular use of the means of grace, namely the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your covenant of grace. We thank you for Jesus, whose blood was shed that we may have forgiveness of sin. And we thank you, God, that you continually give assurances and reminders to your people through the sacraments, through the preaching of your word. We thank you, God, that we can come before your throne of grace and bring and plead with you. May we be a people who continually are in your word, 
obeying your word, learning your word, that we may be encouraged that your name is glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.